Hey, what up, Long Beach? Welcome back to the OG Long Beach Sports Podcast. And that's not a joke. That's not hyperbole. We've been doing this sports podcast here in Long Beach since 2007. Mike, do you remember in 2008 when we illegally sang the NBC Olympic song for our podcast? Big shouts, Ryan Zumalin, Angie Yen, Shariga. We, we put that thing together, dude. It actually sounded pretty good. Uh, you have to find that clip. Yes, that's well, something I have not thought about that. Right now, we can't get, well, obviously this podcast brought to you by the 562.org and part of our partnership with the Long Beach Post. Back yeah. then, Long Beach Post, a little bit more willing and able to put on something <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? People listen to the podcast now. We can't violate international <laughs> copyright law. Uh, I am Mike Gardabasio. Uh, this show is your OG sports podcast, as well as a place to talk about everything education uh, and, and schools in the city of Long Beach, brought to you, as JJ mentioned, uh, as part of our partnership with the Long Beach Post, where we have a ton of other great education coverage you can check out right now. And I'm Tyler Hendrickson, promising not to sing any copywritten music. Um, maybe I'll throw in a happy birthday or something. You know what no, I mean? dude. Mild- uh, that's Mildred, public domain. Mildred and Patty Hill. <laughs> they'll, they'll hunt you down, dude. It's oh, in the public Billy domain Hill. now. It's been 100 years. Mickey Mouse yeah. is coming soon. We'll be in the public domain. <laughs> we're in the domain now. Um, everything that we do at the 562.org brought to you by our title sponsor, Naples Rib Company. You may have seen recently at Naples Rib Co. is back on for another school year supporting local sports and education reporting at the 562.org. Thank you to the continued support that Naples Rib Company provides. We're so blessed to have Naples Rib Co. as a longtime and loyal sponsor of everything that we do. So get down to Second Street, enjoy some delicious barbecue, the best barbecue in the city of Long Beach, and let them know that the 562.org sent you down there. This is our Olympics edition of the podcast. Obviously, every year here in Long Beach, we're talking about Olympians in many different disciplines, in many different sports. And in Tokyo right now, almost 20 athletes and coaches representing Long Beach, either from Long Beach, went to school in Long Beach, trained here. They are in Tokyo trying to make their dreams come true. Now we're going to go down the list, talk a little bit about each one of them, do some behind the scenes stories. You can also read some stories about guys like TJ DeFalco and Max Irving at the 562.org right now, because there's plenty of storylines. So we've got a little bit of the Olympics left and it's been strange, obviously, without fans and everything that's going on right now, but it's still the Olympics. Do you guys, do you guys still get those Olympic chills? You know, when they do the, when NBC does a great job with those kind of like feature articles where they give you the background of the kid. And then all of a sudden they smash cut to the kids standing on the diving platform, like about to do the thing they've waited their whole lives to do. You know, do you, you guys still get those? Hell those yeah. Bumps? Oh my God. I mean, I, I, I Shay Serrano is a writer. I know all three of us like tweeted that, like the best thing about the Olympics is you're like, Every half hour, you're like, this is the most important thing of all time. (laughs) It's just like moving on to the next important thing of all time. Yeah, man, I I was watching uh, uh, the women's uh, uh, park skating final last night. And um, they're just kids, man. You know, it's a bunch of teenagers. And every time one of them would finish, all the other kids would hug them. You know what I mean? It was like the most, I, I think what we think of, young girls competing at the Olympics. We think of uh, gymnastics and, and really overly severe and, and sometimes worse than that um, circumstances. And so that for me, that was sort of my, that was my number one goosebumps. I was emotional watching these like teenage girls just cheering for each other and supporting each other. Like, I don't know anything about Olympic skateboarding. It's the first time it's ever happened, but it felt super important because it's the Olympics. 
the Olympics is so special because it's like everyone's biggest moment of their life. And, and you know, and like for our job, we're, we're covering plenty of, it's a regular season game or a rematch from earlier in the season. There was no surprise. There's so much run of the mill stuff, but once you get to that stage, nothing's routine. And it, it, imagine like covering a football CIF championship game and then going to, uh, you know, a CIF, uh, you know, meet for, uh, you know, track, and then you're covering uh, a soccer final. You know, what I mean? It's like everything is the biggest deal and you always get some great emotional, powerful story because someone always wins and makes a dream come true. And either they're adding to their, uh, you know, medal total or it's the first time they've ever won one and they're ecstatic. Um, it's always better with the fans, but you know how much time, and we have a unique uh, perspective on it because we know how much time and effort goes in for athletes and how many great athletes never get the chance to make it, how hard it is to make it, and then getting to see people that you know personally that you've covered, have met, hung out with, get to see them on that stage. How can you not get goosebumps? Is there a story that you guys put together here in the buildup or anything else during the Olympics that's been your favorite story? Like in in 10 years, what story are you going to think about from the 2020 slash 21 Olympics? Um, I think the, well, I just had a lot of fun writing this Jessica Hardy story about the, uh, about her goggles that she gave to, uh, Lydia Jacoby being the goggles that Jacoby wore to, to win her hundred meter breaststroke gold medal. Um, that was a fun story. Number one, cause it's always fun catching up with Jess, uh, Jessica Hardy, the greatest swimmer to come out of Long Beach. Uh, on the women's side, I think, you know, you, you'd put, uh, Susie Atwood up there, you, you know, Susie's accomplishments are pretty tough to top. And, and Jessica obviously had, uh, you know, some ups and downs in her career that, that threw off some of the stats, but I mean, she had a world record, you know, and, and, uh, she came home from, from London with some pretty impressive hardware. So, um, but Jess, uh, continued to, after her retirement, do events with USA swimming. Um, and while she was in Alaska, she, she gave a pair of pink swim, you know, swimming goggles to this girl, Lydia Jacoby. And she told me, she's like, she's driving two hours to swim in a non long course pool, which is like the equivalent for a basketball player of driving two hours to play pickup basketball on a half court. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And hoping that that's going to like train your way to the Olympics. Um, and so that, that visit from an Olympian from Long Beach meant so much to Lydia Jacoby that she hung onto those goggles. <clears throat> she continued to wear them at, all, at every big meet that she swam in. She wore them in the Olympics uh, as she won a gold medal with, you know, she's about to be a senior in high school, all of her friends and family cheering her on uh, in Alaska. And then, which was an uh, unbelievable scene, by the way, that footage from Alaska with everyone going bonkers was, was awesome. That was so cool. Maybe the goosebumps moment of the whole games for me, you know, cause it just it, agreed. Because it's, it's, it's the kids we cover, it's high school kids and they're just going nuts. And I think we take it for granted a little bit because um, we do have a dozen Olympians pretty much every four years. Right. But in Alaska, she's the first, uh, swimmer in the history of the state to make the Olympics. So they're all going crazy for her in their high school cafeteria as they're watching a live stream. Um, and uh, th- it was super, super touching. I do want to note, because I didn't put it in the story, it didn't felt, feel right to, but if you were watching the U.S. Um, relay where the swimmer had her goggles come off when she dove in, it was Lydia Jacoby and it was those goggles. <laughs> I was just gonna say, at one point, she also wore them as a mouthpiece, which was which not, sucked, not necessarily which is, just, which is like the most hopeless. So like someone tweeted that that's got to be the most hopeless feeling because they came off on entry. 
And there's like, there's nothing you can do. You can't, I mean, you're talking about hundreds of a second. You can't stop it. You, you know, you can't in the middle of a stroke motion, try and flip them back up or something. There's just nothing she could do. Um, but yeah, it's I almost, I almost imagine it's like running like a race, like a 400 or something. And then realizing yeah, sure. your shoes untied and then you're just like, well, it is what it is. Going, and I could really injure myself in about five yeah. seconds. But that's 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 a that's shameless JJ bait there with the uh, the cleat coming off mid strength. But uh, yeah, for real. I, I did, but I did want to know that because I do think this probably is Lydia Jacoby will be back at the Olympics. I would guess the pink goggles are probably going to be retired. <laughs> they they got a golden retirement though. What's how many, how many years do you have to work to get a golden retirement? That's pretty impressive. Right. The, the, well, I would the same thing, right? I, the other night I was watching the track and field and it was raining. It's like, can you imagine training your whole life for this race and then it's just raining? <laughs> Rough. Well, only, only if I was training in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, but I did see, wasn't there a, um, a pole vaulter who didn't want to go because she said it was too slippery and then ultimately she ended up injuring herself and having to withdraw? Yeah. I can't tell you the rage. I, I can't possibly explain to you the level of rage. No one would, would like that, me. but your personality type is particularly not suited for that. <laughs> like because... I told you this was a problem. <laughs> right, right. It's not good enough to just be proven right in retrospect because damages <laughs> were inflicted upon me. Um, I'll, I'll keep the conversation moving ahead with my answer to JJ's question from 10 minutes ago, which was about the moment that you'll remember. And for me, it's, I, I guess this is sort of like cheating, I guess, but I'm going to go with Suni Lee, um, which is kind of two stories in one, right? Because it is the Simone Biles story um, as, you know, the GOAT, um, unfortunately, the, the worst timing to have um, the, the, what was the term for it? The twisties, twisties. they're talking about. Yeah. And so and something that I wasn't actually familiar with um, until these games, but having that happen and then, you know, being forced to to step aside and then ultimately the team does great to win the silver and then obviously Suni Lee winning the gold and, and what an amazing story she has and a story we may not have actually learned if you know Simone did what you know we were all hoping and expecting her to be able to do um, and it shows you just how many Olympians have terrific amazing stories that maybe finish fourth or don't win the gold and so you just can't get to everybody but yeah the the balance beam in the backyard that her dad constructed out of wood and you know that family getting to look on um and and put together that huge celebration on short notice because they weren't anticipating her to win gold in the all-around they knew what the deal was you know she went to be pippin and that's fine you know there's nothing wrong with that but um her stepping up and and having such a great performance and, and obviously in the greater context of what's going on in the world and how difficult the past few years have been for everyone, but especially uh, for Asian Americans. I mean, just, just to have that moment, I, for me, I saw that as being a bigger part of the story. And it was, uh, that was the one that almost got me. You know, I, I was kind of on the verge of tears, just that whole celebration, seeing her win, her family, the interview with her dad, all that stuff was, um, was really special. And, and it very easily could have never come to light um, and it was unfortunate circumstances that made it such a big story, but it's one that I will definitely remember um, every time I watch the Olympics now. Yeah, my, my dad always says everything happens for a reason, and I always respond, everything happens, make a good reason. I, I really hope that this whole situation with, you know, withdrawing for mental health reasons becomes more regular. 
know, scars aren't always visible. And I can't imagine if people were really honest, how many performed in high stress situations at the Olympics or any other sporting event or whatever with those scars, you know, getting deeper and more painful and all that stuff. Because in the past, we have not been okay with people saying, I am not mentally healthy enough to compete. And she's right. Simone's right, dude. That's dangerous in her sport. That's not just bad for the team or bad for the country or whatever. Like she legitimately hurt herself. Uh, so here's hoping that stuff like that becomes a, a little bit more normal. Yeah. And I think a lot of people really showed their ignorance on that with, uh, you know, you're letting your team down and all this other kind of stuff, you know, or I can't imagine someone in another sport, you know, and it's, it's, it's simply non-analogous, you know, if, uh, if a basketball player was having a, you know, tough time they were feeling anxious depressed any number of issues that might have going on there's no consequence physically if they're just off and they're you know pandemic p and they they shoot you know two for 26 you know they are hurting their team but like simone biles could have died <laughs> you know what i mean and that's not too overly dramatic to say that if she wasn't in the right headspace to land all those extremely difficult um maneuvers th there could be some serious long-term consequences to that i think um I was, I'll, I'll share a story. I won't mention any names because I don't want to um, put, I don't want to put anyone on the spot, but I was at a football practice earlier this week and an a assistant coach that we, all three of us know very well was like, uh, he was like, man, I don't, I don't, he was like, I don't like it. You know, he's like, we're asking high school kids, high school kids to put themselves in harm's way to overcome things that hurt and everything else. And you know, he's like, the whole point is to teach mental toughness and, and all this other stuff. And I said, well, here's my thought. I think the worst thing that could have happened for this conversation is the time difference, basically, because it happened at like five o'clock in the morning, our time. And so everyone read about it on social media. Simone Biles says she's not hurt. Simone Biles, Simone Biles withdraws for mental reasons, whatever else. And I'll be honest with you, over the course of the day, I was kind of like, look, I mean, if she felt she needed to withdraw, I'm glad that she I'm glad that she withdrew. But I didn't necessarily like seeing I mean, there were some uh, not necessarily serious sports people, but there were headlines from major outlets like this is her greatest accomplishment. She's a hero for the you know, all this other stuff. And I was like, well, look, I mean, she's we celebrate her because she's great at performing under pressure and all this other stuff. I don't think I'd call her a hero for doing it, for doing what was necessary, right? Um, but mm -hmm. when I watched the video that night, I was like really angry at all of the conversation that had happened throughout the day, because it's obvious it was not like a, it's not a mental health issue. It's not like, oh, she had anxiety about, um, about the right. pressure. Something was physically wrong with her because of what, because of the twisties, because of this mental condition to where you can see, I mean, she's walking off the mat and she says, I, I, don't, I don't trust myself, right? And so it's exactly what Tyler said. Like, it's not a, it, it, you can, you can look at it from that point, like someone trying to play on a broken leg. It's like, this is not a toughness issue. It's worse for your team and it's worse for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like she's not going to score if she's out there not knowing up from down. And so at that point I was kind of like, I sort of feel like this conversation got hijacked a little bit on social media. And I think she was getting um, a lot of crap that was not, that was not deserved you know, quite frankly, she could have done what NFL cornerbacks do every week and just limped off the mat and, and said, Oh, I sprained my ankle. You know what I mean? Right. Like yeah. she chose to be honest about what she, what was going on. And because gymnastics is a niche sport that we care about intensely every four years and then not really in between, 
there was no there was no knowledge or or context around what she was actually going through um, that was given at the time. So that's that's kind of my take on it. Like I'm I'm very glad that she felt strong enough and confident enough to not compete in a way that could have gotten herself hurt. But it was also like this isn't really as much of a mental health conversation as as it's being made out to be. It's more like is it a mental health conversation if someone gets knocked out on a football field and they don't let him play? Like, you know what I mean? It's an actual impairments to what she's or to her ability to perform. I think of it a lot like the diving. There's a thing in diving and I apologize. I don't remember what it's called, but like there's a thing in diving. The water twisties. People dive so much that when they are coming up out of the water, their equilibrium is so messed up that it feels like they're going down in the water. It feels like they're drowning themselves. It's the same so thing. That might get in the way oh of being a decent diver and I don't know, staying alive. So yeah. Yeah, I think of it as the same way. To me, that is mental health. Like your ability to perform without being limited by your own, you know, you know, your own thoughts or your own concerns or whatever that aren't actually, like I said, like visible scars or, or something that you can uh, fix with, with like aspirin or something like that. Like if you're going to put yourself at risk, that should be priority number one. And I also think you have to say this every four years or every two years, I guess, because of the winter Olympics too, but more in the summer Olympics, age matters here, right? Age ain't nothing but a number. Yeah, 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 I get it. But like, if these people who were competing in the Olympics were all 35, I feel like we would look at them a little bit differently. Some of these kids can't get alcohol. Some of these kids can't go to the bar. And yet everyone in the world watches them. Like Mike said, so intently. Well, I mean, multi-billion dollar corporations at stake. I mean, and that, that's the pressure on Simone Biles that is, that's, that's so unique as well. It's only one, there's only one face of the games. You know what I'm saying? And NBC's doing it. They'll like Caleb Dressel will have that in, in uh, Paris or whatever, but it was Simone Biles coming into this Olympics. Their entire broadcast plan was centered around that one person performing well at the Olympics. That's a lot of pressure and money sitting on their shoulders. It's, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of glory. And I think that's where that glory comes from, right? Like the, the ability to perform on the biggest stage when, like you said earlier, Tyler, like when your whole life is built up for that one moment and the margin of error and the margins in the scoring or the time or whatever are so, so small, so small that everything really does matter. Um, and it's, to be to, to, to continue on with the, with the question, what's the thing you're going to think about? I'm always going to think about this Olympics as kind of a new generation of Long Beach Olympians. Think about guys like TJ DeFalco, Long Beach State alum, national champion on the men's volleyball team, uh, Max Irving, uh, Hannes Dobby local Long Beach guys, Shore Aquatics guys, Max went to Wilson. They are on the water polo team. Those three dudes all making their Olympic debuts and all playing really well. Unfortunately, the men's volleyball team didn't get out of group play. They didn't make the quarterfinals. But when they played their final match, TJ DeFalco was top 10. He was number eight in total points in the tournament. This is Olympic debut, and this kid's like top 10 putting it down. And then obviously Max and Hannes have been great in the water. They've combined for over 10 goals in their first uh, five or six games, I believe, uh, playing both sides of the pool, look, looking like Long Beach water polo players, which, which is nothing new. Uh, we all got a great experience listening to Tony Azevedo be the color commentator. Now, if you don't know Tony Azevedo, you're crazy, but he set the record five Olympic appearances for Team USA, uh, the savior, Tony Azevedo, world-renowned guy, our dude. 
And then we got to hang out with his dad last night at the Century Club at the Boathouse on the Bay. Ricardo Azevedo, actually, one of my first interviews at Long Beach State as a sports journalist was Ricardo. Yeah, was Ricardo Azevedo. I think it was his last year or his second to last year as the head coach over there. Did you guys go to Legends afterwards? <laughs> no, we sat in a, we sat in an office where his entire office was just covered in Olympic memorabilia, and I was like, "Oh, okay, so this this guy's a dude." Then I get, I get. It was, it's it's really unfortunate for you that Wikipedia wasn't really booming at that point yet, <laughs> or maybe fortunate, or maybe fortunate. I was I was young, dude. I could have been uh, I could have been a little bit less naive at the moment, but uh, but. Yeah, he talked to the Century Club a little bit about water polo, his experience, what he thinks needs to happen for America to uh, take that next step and be more consistent in water polo. Just a great conversation with him. And, and as we said at the meeting, we went up second to talk about local sports. It's like, yeah, we're just used to following legends because we work and live in Long Beach. That's just regular for us now. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's just Chase Utley. We're going to, you know, introduce him at the Century Club uh, Sports Banquet, and then we're going to talk, you know, because following Chase Utley, not a big deal. I felt the same way on Tuesday talking to Ricardo Azevedo. And that family, dude, what a great, what a great family. What a legendarily great family. Well, Ricardo, I mean, you know, co-founder of Shore Aquatics, uh, along with Rich Foster. Um, I mean, he coached the Chinese women's national team in the Olympics at Rio. That might He's be his greatest every... compliment, his, uh, his greatest accomplishment. Like just just walking into a situation where they had never played before and like turning that thing into what they're doing now, basically. They got like, out of pool play. Setting the, setting, <laughs> setting the foundation for something that incredible is, yeah. got to tip the cap, that- man. Isn't isn't technically everything pool play? Well, <laughs> that's they screwed up because they call it uh what do they call it? They call it the other one. It could be pool play or it could be group groups. It's the group play. Yeah. And it's come on, you call it pool play for basketball. <laughs> like it's water polo. They're in the pool. Um. Yeah, Ricardo. I mean, it, but like someone who's coached in so many different countries, who's had so much uh, success coaching Americans, coaching internationally, um, and just one of those guys that like. I'm sure you felt this as a, as a 20 year old journalism student or whatever. You shake the guy's hand and you're like, Oh, this dude's like, he's a guy. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I, can t- I can tell this dude is a guy, you know, as I, as I said last night, when we were leaving, it's like when you're in like on Rodeo drive in Beverly Hills or something, and you see somebody and you're like, I don't know who that is, but they're definitely famous. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's can, exactly can, right. They exude importance. Uh, yeah. yeah. You can just, you can just tell. I, I have kind of a random question for you guys to keep it on the Olympic theme. So obviously one of the big things about being an Olympian is, is people getting the rings tattooed on them, which I think is like super baller. I don't have any tats, but that's, I've always said that I don't have like a good enough reason to get one or like a good idea. I'll never be an Olympian, but if I were, that would be a good enough reason to be like, I want people to know it forever. When they do my autopsy, I want them to know that this was an Olympian's body as hard as it will be for them to believe. Um, would you guys get the rings tatted yes and where where on your body would you get them someone is our tattoo expert the what why i'm the only one who has one yeah you're the only one who has a tattoo you're the expert Um, i definitely put it somewhere i could see it every day does that make sense right like uh actually i'd probably put it somewhere random like like the top of my knee or something so like anytime i was sitting down there's just like right Mm -hmm. there reminding me also (laughs) I don't think you have to be an athlete. If we're still doing this thing when Long Beach uh, events are being held for, for the Summer Olympics here in Southern California. I didn't think about that. If we, if, we cover, if we cover the Olympics in our hometown and we're doing it by, by ourselves, like for ourselves, I, 
I might get the five rings, bro. I'm all in. Get the credential uh, no. tatted on you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all in. If the, if the 562 is still here and the three of us are still working together in 2028, I'm all in on getting an Olympic ring tattoo. Oh, but at that point, I would suggest to you, you do not put them somewhere that everyone can see them because you're going to get a <laughs> right, lot. You're right, going right, to get right. beat up by a specific set of people who are a lot stronger than you. <laughs> There's no such thing yeah. as a former Olympian, Mike. <laughs> No, no, JJ's going to get the rings. He's going to get jumped about six times, and then he's going to have to go in and put M-E-D-I-A inside the rings. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, going to be his protection. I, I, am all, I am all in on getting the on getting them as media after Long Beach hosts the games. I'm all in on that. If I were an athlete, I would absolutely get them. I did ask that of everyone I interviewed, and they're all like, oh, yeah, you got to do it, you know. Um I would probably go like back shoulder. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily want to see it all the time. I would want, but like, but that's a smooth move. You're at a pool party or something, you know, you're at your pool party with your kids, friends or something. You pull the shirt off and you got the Olympic rings on your back shoulder. That's a, that's a nice moment. I feel like that's a good, that's a good flex. I, I just, I don't know. The, the behind the back one is tough because then you got people talking about it and you don't know they're talking about it, you know, but if it's on, you know, if you got it on the front, then you kind of know, I'd probably do it um, like inside of my forearm. The forearm one. I like the forearm So one. it's like, you look at the watch and then you flip your arm over and see the rings. Okay. I think that would be a cool, like little reminder. So you, it's almost like your play sleeve or if you're a catcher and you're looking for the pitch calls or something, you know what I mean? Where you look down yeah. and you just see the Olympic rings. I think if that'd I, be pretty cool. If we're talking about uh, incredibly hard and amazing tattoos, you've got to mention a guy we just mentioned, Tony Azevedo's tattoo, which is a list of the cities in which he's visited to be in the Olympics. And there's five of them on his arm, dude. Right. And he saved a little money with Rio. Amazing. <laughs> he, had some, he had some kind of shorter ones, you know, where you could just like slip them on there. But yeah, that's, you know. That, that's pretty great. It's like uh, it's like Arya Stark's list. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> but, except it's like, these are all the places, the cities I've conquered. <laughs> yeah, dude. We, we could talk Long Beach Olympic lore like every day, pretty much. Because there's it's since the Olympics started, Long Beach has been involved. I mean, Tyler, you did a great story on the Wilson tradition. Wilson High School, more Olympians than any other high school in America. That's a thing, y'all. That's incredible. Still, still holding that streak uh, going back to 1952. Only the the games in 1980, Wilson certainly would have had um, at least one, probably multiple Olympians during that era. Um, but obviously, the U.S. boycott uh, of those games. But yeah, the the tradition lives on. And um, like you said, you know, we've got a couple um, first time Olympians out of Wilson. Max Irving, as you already mentioned, JJ and Riley Gibbs, um, the sailor. So you know, there's there's sailor. a reason to believe. He's a good man. There's a reason to believe that that uh, tradition will continue for the Bruins. And, and yeah, it's, it's just one of those events where Long Beach gets to show off, right? It's like, you know, we, we always get to talk about, you know, how, how many professional athletes we have across the board. I mean, obviously, Polly, um, football, legendarily. I mean, a bunch of different schools producing big league talent. Um, and then, obviously, Long Beach State had, had a great run with guys in the show, Um earlier and, in the, and you know, from the 2000s throughout the 2010s basically and, yeah and olympians at long beach state anytime i talk right. to water polo coach gavin arroyo or men's volleyball coach alan knipe about the olympics they always mention like we've been trying to tell them we got to rebrand ourselves as olympic U. it's a, it's a factory yeah. dude 
Well, because if you think about it, um, you think about the sports they're dominant at. I mean, we've said it's a volleyball school. There's also an incredible water polo history. Ricardo Azevedo uh, being a big part of that. Um, and I, I like it better than like we're a strong mid-major at West Coast sports or something. It's like, no, be the mm-hmm. Olympic school. The, pr- the problem is USC this year has 63 Olympians. <laughs> Pretty impressive. <laughs> Which would be, I think it would be like a top five country in terms of delegation size. Um, and USC is not that far up the road from Long Beach State. But if you put Long Beach State in a pool with the other mid-majors, I mean, they're, they're dumping all over everyone in terms right. of, you know, and with a lot of these sports, water polo and, and then volleyball, you're, you're paying your scholarship. It's a lot easier to afford doing that at Long Beach State, you know, than it is at USC, obviously. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, Mike, we do have to mention before we wrap up here uh, that when we do watch the Olympics, every time we're thinking about London, pining, pining for those three weeks we got. To when are we going to be lame for doing that? I don't feel like it's happened yet. Never. Only okay. because here's the reason why. Here's we'll never why. die. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the reason why is because how it happened. Now, yeah. if we had, if we had been like, okay, the, our number one goal, our bucket list, we got to get to the Olympics. And three years before we're, uh, we're applying with the OC, trying to get our passes and all that stuff. And we're in the locker we're room. nerds. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? That's don't call thing. it that. That's a whole, that's a whole different thing. Right. We did not do that. Okay. Shout out Simon Grieve for winning a foot race on the beach. Shout out uh, Century Club for doing one of the greatest barbecue ideas ever called the world's most expensive hamburger, where they raised money so that we could eat while we were in London. Shout out to the Aquatic Capital of America. Shout out to everybody who had a hand in getting us there. And then once we were there, we literally went full union weekly mode. It was like, I don't know, show up and see what happens. You know what I mean? We just rolled camera on going to London and covering Long Beach as if it were an, an actual country. And the results you know, paid for themselves kind of like we did incredibly well as a city in London, let alone like doing a crazy off the cuff fly by the seat of our pants trip to uh, to one of the most cities, one of the most famous cities in the world. It's freaking nuts. I, I think a couple of things that jump out to me that are stories that I don't think we've told on the podcast is I have had a couple of people ask me, they're like, so you're just working like crazy over there. And I was like, we literally worked 18 hour days seven days a week for three weeks and then we had one day off and on that day off we flew to dublin at (laughs) like six o'clock in the morning and we flew back at midnight on a bank holiday of all things (laughs) (laughs) um but we were just kind of like like stumbling around uh dublin like not drunk but just like about to pass out um (laughs) just like you know (laughs) we went to the guinness uh factory we walked up and down the river. Uh, we had some, I think we had an Irish breakfast, I want to say. Um, and then the, the other aspect of it that we forget about, Jage, and I, which I think is very obvious right now, which is why I thought about it. We landed. And then I want to say the, literally the next day, I think we slept all day. And I believe the day after that, we were had to do our football previews. Yes. Like yeah. it was literally, because I remember I went to Polly and Raul Lara stopped practice. And was like, he just got back from the Olympics and he's here to, to watch you practice football. You better right. not like be like, dragging ass today. That's like, right, man. We were, <laughs> we were on the move, dude. We, we were on the move. Uh, Mike, take your the, shirt off. You see the rings on his back? <laughs> some of those, <laughs> that shows. <laughs> some, of the best, some of the best stories from that, um, from that trip came from being on the move. 
like figuring out public transportation, like all the things that come with going to a place like London in a time like the Olympics. Uh, Mike landing in that old lady's lap the first time we were on a bus and it took a hard turn. Like you're not used to being on a really packed bus in London until you're in a really packed bus in London. And Mike forgot to grab the uh, oh crap handle in the middle. Bus took a sharp turn, dude. This beautifully generous and nice 75 year old woman just got a Gardabasio in her lap. Without to know that I also gave her my seat. You did, you absolutely did. And then she paid for it. And I, I believe, I believe, my quote, which I feel like I heard quite a bit on the rest of the trip, was, "I'm so sorry." I'm so sorry. <laughs> Your face was completely blank, but it was, it was an "I'm so sorry." It was heartfelt, if anything else. It was, it was definitely heartfelt. It was a good yeah. time. I've been looking. I, I did uh, just look through those pictures, and actually, one of. Um, uh, I, I'm trying to. Oh, I think it might have been Ron Wood, someone we know in uh, the um, on the city council in Lakewood, was just posting his pictures of his Olympic pins that he traded for in 1984 when he was a kid. And I was remembering that how like for some people the Olympics is like it's just as important as the Olympics is to everyone else, but the reason that it's important is because of pin trading. Like yeah. it's their thing. Is <laughs> like seriously, it's like. It's a, I mean, there's a whole little village set up of just people who like, they just come to trade pins. Like, we, we went to St. James's Park in London specifically to do that video about pin yeah. trading and like get shots of how many different pins from how many different Olympics they had there. And yeah, it was, yeah, it was the Smithsonian of pins for sure. Hey, you guys want to head back to the bar and watch Usain Bolt run tonight? Oh, we've got some very important I don't know. I don't know. I heard they got the octopus from Barcelona in there. I gotta, get, I gotta get my hands on that pin. That wraps up another episode of What Up Long Beach. Had a lot of fun talking Olympics and uh, yeah, still get to enjoy a little bit more of it. But we've also got high school sports just around the corner. We've already started working on our fall previews. That means football uh, first and foremost to get things kicked off. Um, in this fall season. So we will be talking a lot more about that in the weeks ahead. Thanks so much for tuning in. We want to thank all of our sponsors once again, including our friends over at Ocean Law Center. Visit OceanLawCenter.com for a list of services they provide. Thanks so much for tuning in, Long Beach. We will talk to you soon next week with another episode of What Up Long Beach. Until then, take care.